You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous, the podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. I'm your host, Ebony Vines. And I'm your host, Pamela Shandro. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Theater Geeks Anonymous podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Thank you. We have taken so much time off, and I am grateful for that because I moved and transitioned jobs. It's the same job, but a different location, and it's been absolutely nuts for me. How have you been? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, they tell you I wrote an audio play. No. Yeah. I knew that you were were working on something, but. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it's short, five minutes long with the Flint Rep Theater. Cool. Uh, And I wrote it with Hunter Bell, who some people might know. Okay. uh, Who was one of the writers of Title of Show. Awesome. What's it about? Do we, are are you sharing anything yet? Oh yeah. It's out there to listen to. Um, so it's Flint mural plays. And so each writer got like a, got to choose a mural that they have that's happening in Flint. And so it's basically to get people out and about and like, um, hanging out in the community and like supporting businesses and stuff. So, um, they gave us a choice of like these five murals that hadn't been written about yet. Yeah. And so I chose this one, uh, by this artist whose name I, 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 I am always afraid I'm going to butcher trying to say. <laughs> okay. But it's spelled C-E-A-U-X. That's how you say his. That's so? I mean, is it, or is it co? So? I think it's an S. I think yeah. the first way is. Correct. And that makes sense. Like, it's like a French spelling. So it yeah. makes sense that it would be like so. Right. And he's based in New Orleans. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, he's part of my family. <laughs> you have family got- in NOLA? I've got French Cajun roots. Yes. Didn't know that. Yeah. And my mom's side of the family. So I actually do have some people that are cousins of mine, Mm -hmm. like my mom's cousin and then her family, her extended family all live there in um, Westlake in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Oh. We used to have uh, family reunions like every 10 years or so. We've gone to like two or every six years. We went to two of them. So the first one I went to, I was 10 years old. And then we went again when I was 16. And then it kind of fell off. But it was amazing. Like all of these people. And and there was this one woman I remember so vividly seeing that looked incredibly like my mom. 
so we had them take a picture together. It was it was nuts, but it was it was cool too because they would they would deep fry turkeys that would be injected with Cajun seasoning. Ooh. There would be gumbo. I think I ate alligator meat for the first time. We had venison <laughs> all the time. Oh mm-hmm. man, it was real good. That sounds. That sounds delightful. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> that was when I had boudin for the first time, which is oh. like a sausage that's made. Okay. I think it's mostly pork, but it's mm-hmm. like Cajun seasonings inside. Oh, and rice. And like, it's the best thing in the whole entire world. <laughs> and I remember when we were in New Orleans with the show Wicked, mm-hmm. I mentioned it to my dresser and I said there uh, now that I'm here again, I have got to go find some boudin, mm-hmm. but I don't know where to look. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you could probably find it any butcher. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great to know. The next day, she had brought me in some boudin. Oh, bless her heart. No, it was so nice. It was so nice. Oh, those are good memories. And just eating that boudin makes me like remember yeah. so much of 29 years ago. <laughs> wow, really? I know. Isn't that crazy? I turned 40 in August. I know, but. How old were you when you were in Wicked? No. Oh, this- in, oh, no, no. I'm sorry. When I'm talking about when I was 10 years old. Okay. Because I was like, <laughs> there's no way you were. You're not old enough. What is that? No, gosh. It's Wicked. It's only been three weeks since we saw each other. Pamela. I know, right? <laughs> no, I started Wicked eight years ago and then okay. finished Wicked six years ago. So okay. it's been almost, it'll be seven years in December. Okay. Yeah. It's been a long time. The years yeah. really do go by faster when you're old. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's crazy. Yeah. Like grown-ups always used to say that when mm-hmm. we were kids and it always felt like forever, especially with school, but Oh, totally. Oh yeah. Like from one birthday to the next when you were a kid, you were like, I'm never going to turn 9 years old. Never. <laughs> oh, oh that's good. That's yeah, good my- stuff. My baby niece is one now walking. Oh, my gosh. oh wow. She's a fast walker. So freaking cute. <laughs> I bet. So cute. <laughs> oh, those little meaty thighs. I love them. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, should we talk about the show we're gonna do? We should. <laughs> So it's been a while. So I might I might be a little rusty here because, oh, like we were mentioning before, we took the summer off because of Mm -hmm. the moving and all that jazz. So the show I'm doing today, you didn't even remember. And I don't remember because I wrote it several weeks ago. (laughs) Ghost. Yay! I know, right? Ghost of the musical. Yeah, we're just going to hit the road. Ghost the Musical is a musical with book and lyrics by Bruce Joel Rubin and music and lyrics by Dave Stewart and Glenn Ballard. It's based on the hit 1990 romantic fantasy thriller film of the same name, and the musical had its world premiere at the Manchester Opera House in Manchester in March of 2011. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. I thought that it was an American started thing. I didn't realize yes. that it had had its whole life in the UK first. Me too. I mean... It's funny because um, Back to the Future is, is... Same thing? Yeah, England right now. I'm, it's yeah. supposed to be coming here, I think, 2022, 20, 23. That's kind of exciting. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> like all of my the shows that I remember watching and the movies I remember watching as a kid, like Ghost and Back to the Future, like I'm super excited about that. <laughs> and I hope that they last. Ghost did not. 
but we'll talk about it that. It did not. I do. <laughs> the one thing I have to say is I mm. do want to see how the car flies. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I imagine that they'd probably do something projected on the back, like a video, like a, a point of view video mm-hmm. so that you feel like you're the one moving. But I don't right. know. We'll see. It's a kind of a cool, I mean, it'll be really cool, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Ghost then began its West End premiere in summer of 2011, opening on the 19th of July. The show transferred to Broadway and opened in April of 2012. Now, let's talk about the guys that wrote this. Bruce okay. Joel Rubin, who wrote the book and lyrics, is an Oscar-winning screenwriter, meditation teacher, and photographer. I love it. <laughs> You know, I do too. I love it. It's so LA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His- well, it's also very New York to have oh, like yeah. several jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Side hustles. Absolutely. <laughs> His films often explore themes of life and death with metaphysical and science fiction elements. And prominent among them are Jacob's Ladder, My Life, and Ghost, which he received the Oscar for Best, Best Original Screenplay. Ghost was also nominated for Best Picture and was the highest grossing film of 1990. These are all amazing films. Jacob's Ladder is this kind of, well, okay, spoiler alert if you don't want to hear it, although I'm sure you've already watched. He finds out at the very end of the movie that he's been dead the whole time. Like, you know, there's an event that happens. um, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense, yeah. Slightly Mm -hmm. different in that he is the character that we follow from the very start until the very end. And you think that all of what's happening is real until you realize that one event that happened at the beginning of the movie was actually his death. Okay. And then he discovers it at the end of the movie. Like, it's a, they're all very good movies. So, you know, you think, well, this guy he knows what he's doing, but also like he is intimately familiar with ghost because he wrote it. Yeah. So he's a part of this musical process, which is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen very often. No, that's not common. Mm-mm. Dave Stewart, who wrote the music and lyrics is an English musician, songwriter, and record producer best known for their Eurythmics with Annie Lennox <laughs> and his successful professional uh, partnership with Annie Lennox. Stewart wrote the musical Barbarella based on the 1968 film, which premiered in Vienna in March uh, on March 20, excuse me, March 11th of 2004. I have not heard anything else about Barbarella, the musical. So I am assuming that that's probably in the same category as Ghost, but I thought it was remarkable to write down. So and kind of fun. That also I mean, Barbarella is like a cult Totally. Right, it's. So, I wonder if it's like in the same vein as like a Rocky Horror Show type. Yeah, musical. I was thinking like Rocky Horror Show mm-hmm. or um, uh, uh, oh goodness, Hedwig. the horror film Hedwig. Oh, but I was thinking yeah. of uh, Evil Dead is also sure. a musical. Oh yes. Yeah. Have you ever seen Evil Dead the musical? I have not. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. I saw it in, when we were in Canada. I think in Toronto with Phantom years ago. Oh, that was fun. That was a fun night. <laughs> uh Glenn Ballard who also wrote music and lyrics is also is his full name I had to write this down because it's so English Basil Glenn Ballard Jr. Basil <laughs> Basil uh born May 1st of 1953 is an all-American is an American though he's got a he's got an English name but he's an American <laughs> I had forgotten that because like I said 
I wrote this weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) He's an American songwriter, lyricist, and record producer. He's best known for co-writing and producing Alanis Morissette's 1995 album, Jagged Little Pill. What an awesome album. Yeah, totally awesome. It's one of my favorites still to this day. same. He won the Grammy Awards for Best Rock Album and Album of the Year and was also ranked by the Rolling Stones as one of the the 500 greatest albums of all time. He is also well known in his collaborations with uh, composer Alan Silvestri. And in addition to Ghost, on the 31st of January 2014, it was announced that a stage musical of the film Back to the Future is in production. Oh, my gosh. I'd forgotten (laughs) that I wrote that down, too. And how fun that it came back full circle. (laughs) So just to give you an idea, if you were not uh, privileged to be able to watch the movie Ghost, which is truly the most one of the most amazing movies that I think I had ever (laughs) seen when I was a kid. And horribly inappropriate for a child to watch. I know, I know. But I, but I also didn't quite understand all of no. the things that were going on and happening, which is probably a good thing. But I feel like kids of the '80s watched a lot of stuff they had <gasps> no business watching. Oh, completely, completely. <laughs> One, for instance, being Rocky Horror Picture Show, which was on every Halloween, and I would make it a point to actually watch it. And it's completely inappropriate for children. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but so you've got. Um, Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze, and Aiden Quinn playing this, uh, playing two, three of the characters, in the three leads, basically. So you Patrick and Demi play a couple. They are married. And then their friend, Aiden. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to talk about the plot of the musical, which is basically the same as the movie for all well, what, intents and purposes. What about, what about Whoopi? Oh, yeah. Whoopi comes into play, too. Oh, my gosh. Like, Whoopi. <laughs> I don't even know. Why the I didn't best part she is of the, best. the whole movie. <laughs> she is the best part. And I think she won the Academy Award for yes, that, too. Did. Yes, so, did. Which was well-deserved. Because yes. that thing is... <laughs> this is what makes me laugh. Every time I'm watching RuPaul's Drag Race, and he mm-hmm. says, Molly, girl, you in trouble. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know. I love it. Oh, I love it, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the plot of the musical in act one the musical starts when sam wheat and his longtime girlfriend molly jensen move into a loft apartment in brooklyn together sam is a banker molly a sculptor and their friend carl bruner is introduced as one of sam's co-workers come to help them settle in the three of them seem to be a tight-knit group with sam and molly very much in love however sam clearly shies away from the word love which makes molly visibly uncomfortable and she starts to say something about it but soon stops herself and sam distracts her with a rendition of unchained melody leaving her insecurities temporarily forgotten unchained melody is the song of ghost Mm -hmm. they did include it in the musical okay that, Some that's people. a departure, I feel, because there's so yeah. many movies turned to musicals where mm-hmm. there's like a key song and it's yes. not used. Yes. Like I like when we were talking about um uh oh not the wedding singer. Now the head now the the, the show just popped out. A waitress is one. Because mm-hmm. there's only one song in the whole film, right? Yeah. And it's just her talking about baking a pie and it's not in the musical yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, gosh, I'm, I'm going to talk to the audience like they've never seen this movie before (laughs) because it's so difficult. It's like, of course you've seen it, right? Right. (laughs) Um, 
Molly will always say to Sam, I love you. And Sam's response will always be ditto. Mm -hmm. That was through their entire relationship. And that was the one thing that Molly got super upset over in the beginning of the movie and also now in the beginning of the show. So that was what that whole the word love thing means. Okay. At work, Sam notices some discrepancies with several accounts and is unwilling to let them go, despite the fact that he has a date with Molly that evening. He confides in Carl with his discovery, and his friend not only agrees to keep the findings a secret, but promises to investigate himself so Sam can keep his date. Thanking him, Sam leaves and meets up with Molly, who later confesses that she wants to marry him. Sam is taken aback, and Molly suddenly asks why he never tells her that he loves her. Mm. He assures Molly that he doesn't say it in so many words because he prefers to say it through his actions. Molly tells him that she'd like to hear it every now and again, but his reply reassures her nonetheless. However, they're soon approached by an armed man that tries to steal Sam's wallet. Sam fights back instead of surrendering, and the two struggle for the gun. It goes off. Sam is fatally shot, leaving Molly to cry out for help. Instead of moving on, however, Sam becomes a ghost, and he stays behind with Molly instead of following the light. Unable to leave Molly, he follows her to the hospital, and another ghost explains what he's become. A trapped Sam struggles to reach out to Molly. Back at the apartment, Carl helps Molly clear out some of Sam's old things. Clearly, she's hesitant to let go, totally unbeknownst to the fact that Sam is very close by and unable to move on himself. When she's alone, the man that killed Sam sneaks in and begins to ransack the place while Molly is upstairs, forcing Sam into a panic that he'll hurt her too. Sam manages to spook the man and he flees. Needing to know who he is, Sam pushes himself through the front door with great effort and follows the man all the way back down to his own apartment. He finds out that the man's name is Willie Lopez and mm -hmm. that he'd, yeah, you remember that name, mm -hmm. and that he'd eventually go back uh, for what he seems to, uh, oh, to go back for what he was looking for in the apartment to begin with. Desperate, Sam then seeks out a psychic, Oda Mae Brown, who seems to be a total fraud. I love her. <laughs> I know me too. But by some miracle, she actually hears Sam and he convinces her to go to talk to Molly on his behalf by singing 10,000 bottles of beer on the wall, obnoxiously no less, in the meantime. <laughs> Molly is grieving and not taking the loss very well. She gets this visit from Oda May, but Molly is hesitant to believe. However, Oda May starts parroting things that only Sam would know. And eventually Molly comes around and agrees to listen. Through Otome, Sam tells her, Molly, that he was set up, murdered, and that she needs to go to the police. Otome bails as soon as she hears that word. Molly takes this information to Carl, who tells her that it's crazy, but promises to check it out. She goes to the police, and Carl goes straight to Willie's place, where a distraught Sam mm -hmm. discovers the truth. In that, his murder was at Carl's own error. As Molly swears to suspend all disbelief, a drunken Carl wanders the streets trying to convince himself it was not his fault. Mm. But it was Carl. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Whew. We're going to find out more about that in Act 2. At the police station, it's revealed that Otome has quite the criminal record. Shaken, Molly leaves there with the knowledge that the psychic is a fraud and she loses hope, much to Sam's dismay. Molly, in her anger, sits down to do some pottery as the radio plays. Static is heard and Molly gets up to change the station. As she turns the dial, unchained melody is suddenly heard. Molly quickly turns off the radio in shock. 
After a few moments, she turns it back on and slowly returns to her pottery. Sam, who is watching, approaches her from behind, singing along, longing for her touch. Just as Molly begins frustrated uh, and starts to lean back as if she can feel Sam, there's a knock on the door and it's Carl. Molly tells Carl that he was right, that the whole thing was crazy and that she was just grasping at straws. He assures her that it's only natural, but she has to move on. And he even makes a poorly received move on her in the song called Life Turns on a Dime. Enraged, Sam manages to break something and a flustered Molly asks Carl to leave. Oh, Carl. (laughs) Carl is a mess. He's He's, not a hot mess, just a mess. Yeah, he's a mess. With the help of another ghost on the subway, Sam learns how to move objects and returns to Odame's place to enlist her help once more. Suddenly, Odame is a legitimate psychic and the, with the ability to call on other spirits instead of resorting to fraud. While Sam is there, Willie Lopez finds her and she has to run for her life. Sam uses his newfound abilities to spook him and chase him away, but Willie runs into traffic and dies. Unlike Sam, yeah, he's not offered the white light, but it's implied that he's dragged somewhere completely different. I remember that. That creeped I me too. out. That is it. Yes. That scene and the very end of the movie when Carl gets his comeuppance are the two yeah. scenes that stick in my head like vividly. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, unlike Sam, yeah, he's dragged somewhere completely differently. However, Sam knows that it isn't over and he begs Otome to help him stop Carl from getting to the money in order to protect Molly. We see then Molly trying to get her life together and move on. It's seen that she's selling pieces at her gallery and she apologizes to Carl for pushing him away. Carl, meanwhile, is anxiously awaiting a call and waves her off under the guise of having a busy day. Together, Sam and Otome break into the account that Carl was extorting. Sam feeding her account numbers and information while she poses as Rita Miller. I also loved this scene because of that outfit and the hat. Yes! (laughs) Yes! Sweetheart neckline, puff 80s sleeves, red and black dress with a black hat, very wide brim on a slant. Yes. It's amazing and iconic. It really is. (laughs) And her little clutch black purse. (laughs) (laughs) The account is closed and Sam goes to find Carl in his office in a panic. Moving objects around the room, Sam scares Carl, moving... um, Oh, (laughs) that's written twice. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, And making it clear that he knows what really happened. Scared, Carl tells Sam that he'll kill Molly if he doesn't leave him alone and get him the money. However, Sam runs back to Otome. That scene was weird to me. And it's still weird in this show to me that they kind of kept it that way. There was this weird kind of like Sam was moving stuff around. And I think at some point he like either wrote down on paper or wrote through the computer that it was him. Mm-hmm. But Carl just suddenly believes that it's Sam that's behind this, Sam's ghost behind this. And was like but uh if you don't you know take care of this i'll i'll kill molly it was just a weird scene yeah but i you know there always has to be one weird scene i suppose (laughs) when she's handed a check for four million dollars otome tries to take the money and leave the situation for good but sam convinces her to donate the money sam then takes her i love that scene yeah me too (laughs) so good i need to watch that movie again it's been a while (laughs) Um, uh, Sam then takes her to go see Molly again in order to warn her about Carl. 
At the apartment, Molly tries to send her away at first, but Sam is able to walk through the door and tell Otome the significance of the earrings Molly is wearing, as well as, a, as read a letter for Sam that Molly has inside the apartment. After Otome repeats these things, Molly is able to believe again, and she lets the psychic in. She explains everything to Molly, who is clearly emotionally distraught, and Otome even lets Sam use her body to hold Molly and comfort her. Mm. Carl comes into the apartment armed and frightened for his own life. He owes dangerous drug dealers money, and he's desperate. Even though it's clear that he doesn't want to resort to such measures, Carl grabs Molly and holds his gun to her, telling Sam that if he doesn't have Otome tell him where the money is, he's going to kill her. There's a struggle, and Carl is killed, and he's dragged away in the same way as Willie. I wonder that- how they did this on stage. It's like having well, Gates House flames. No, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's really interesting, actually. There's a couple of videos that I was able to find on YouTube that show a little bit of the special effects used. Mm-hmm. It's all done with kind of lighting and almost mm-hmm. like laser. Okay. Um, it's really interesting. And I think maybe that might have been a really exciting point of the show. Cause mm-hmm. if you remember the subway scene where he's learning to, like that, you had that uh, bald guy with the really long curly hair and kind of a strange character face. Mm-hmm. And I can mm-hmm. never remember his name, but he was in a lot of movies at that time period. Cause he was yeah. so like, his face was so recognizable. Right. Mm-hmm. But he was always playing this weird like character and he was so angry He's a ghost too, but he's so angry at Sam and saying, get off my subway and like shoves him. But on the way, he's like, he's hitting newspapers that are going flying and he's like kicking over cans and all of that stuff. And he's the one then that Sam goes to, to teach him how to move things so that he can help Molly. Um, And in that scene, you kind of, you get the idea that they're on a subway, but it's more about projections and lighting. Mm -hmm. Um, than actually being in a subway car. So you do have some things like seats and people that are fixed, but everything else is done with projection. So it gets you the idea that the car is moving and that the ghosts are moving between cars without opening doors. It's really interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. But also, I don't know if you realized that Carl was not killed that way in the first, in the movie. At the end of the movie, and this is what I remember, though I haven't seen it in ages. Mm-hmm. What I remember is that Carl was running or trying to, he was running away or trying to hurt somebody, trying to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Sam was able to push him. He falls into an open window in like a dilapidated building. And then a broken window falls from the top oh, of the window geez. sill and guillotines him in half. Oh. Jeez. Okay. That's why it's so stuck in my head. Like it was a very like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But in this one, he's just shot and almost like in an accidental way. But we also see, like I said, he's dragged off the stage much like Willie is. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they do it like with ninja suits. Maybe. Like the all black. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got like the, in the movie at least, they're shadows that drag Willie away. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you could do the same thing, I think, with people in ninja suits and lighting. Like that, and that would be a really easy, but also very effective way to show that. I don't know. But now that Carl is gone and Molly is safe, the light returns for Sam and Molly is able to see and hear him. Knowing that it's time for him to go, Sam says goodbye to Otome and regretfully turns to Molly. 
They're able to say their goodbyes. Sam finally telling Molly that he loves her in the way that she wants to hear. And that is the show. Okay. I also remember crying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Even as a kid. Because like that, you know, there's something very universal about grief. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that even if you're a child and don't fully understand the ramifications of losing someone, mm-hmm. you can grieve in a way with someone mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. because of someone's grief. Yeah. So they've had several different um, productions of this, and I'm just going to go through the list. So we already talked about Manchester in 2011. The musical had this world premiere tryout at the Manchester Opera House in Manchester starting on March 28th, 2011 and running through May 14th, also of that same year. It was directed by Tony Award winning director Matthew Varkas or Varkas. I don't know. It starts with a W. Um with set design by Rob Howell, choreographer by Ashley, uh, excuse me, Ashley Wallen, musical supervision and arrangements by Christopher Nightingale, illusions by Paul Keeve, lighting by Hugh Vanstone, sound design by Bobby Aitken, and projection design by John Driscoll. Cast members included Richard Fleischman and Casey Levy as Sam and Molly. Oh, yeah. I feel like I knew she was in that. I do feel like I knew yeah. that. I think I did too. I mean, I, she's been, she has been in all of the different, uh, not all of the different productions that she did Manchester and then she took it to Broadway, but Richard Fleischman also did. And he's an English actor. So he, I think that was why they found him for the Manchester version, but he did so well that they moved him over to the Broadway version as well. Um, Saharan D. Clark, and I don't know if I'm saying that name correctly, so please forgive me, as Oda Mae Brown and Andrew Langtree as Carl Bruner. In the West End production in 2011 and 2012, they began uh, began previews at the Piccadilly Theater in the West End on 20, uh, excuse me, June 24th, 2011, with an official opening night gala on the 19th of July. Reviews for the opening night performance were mixed, although the special effects were praised by critics and their ingenuity and skill. On January 13th of 2012, Merrick Evans and Siobhan Dillon took over the roles of Sam and Molly, respectively. And the production closed on October 6th of 2012. So that was a good long run. Yeah. Then they opened in Broadway. <laughs> so oh. the musical opened on Broadway at the Luntfontaine Theater mm-hmm. on the 23rd of April 2012. Following previews from March 15th, directed by Matthew Varkas, starring Richard Fleischman and Casey Levy reprising their roles as Sam and Molly. They were joined by newcomers Divine Joy Randolph as Oda May and Bryce Pinkham as Carl. I think Bryce Pinkham in that role is kind of perfect. Yeah. Because he reminds me very much of Aiden Quinn anyway. Mm -hmm. But he's kind of like, you know, tall and lanky and kind of weaselly. Like he can be, and I love Bryce Pinkham. I'm not saying that in a ma- in a bad way. Like he's just kind of like he could definitely take on that character. <laughs> According to Levy, and this is in quotes, for the Broadway production, emotional moments in the show have been fine tuned. A line or two has been changed here or there. A couple of songs have been replaced. Some characters have been tweaked. All for the better. A new overture was added and Ball of Wax was replaced by a new but similar song, You Gotta Let Go. The production opened to mixed reviews. Although it received three Tony nominations, Randolph was nominated for the Outer Critics Circle Awards for Outstanding Featured Actress in a Musical, while Hugh Vanstone won the award for Outstanding Lighting Design. 
It was announced on the 24th of July of 2012 that the Broadway production would close on August 18th after 136 regular performances. A national tour for fall 2013 was confirmed. It's not a bad run. No. I, I had a find, friend who's, yeah. uh, whose brother was in the, the, was he in the tour or on Broadway? Now hmm. I can't remember. He was, mm -hmm. I think maybe he was on Broadway actually. In cool. It. It's not, I mean, it, it, that's a respectable amount of performances. I think what happened was that because it was such a large theater, they just weren't like, they weren't really making any money off of it. Yeah. It was kind of a break-even situation, but then as, as costs get higher and higher, mm -hmm. you just can't recoup anymore after that mm -hmm. point. So these are some other of the various productions, and there are a lot of them. We've got a UK national tour from 2013 to 14, Germany 2017 to 20. The international tour and the UK national tour were 2018 and 2019, respectively. Mm. The US national tour was 2013. Australia was supposed to open in 2013, but they delayed until 2016 due to complications with transporting the famously technologically intricate set, yeah. which I thought was actually kind of funny and endearing. Yeah. <laughs> South Korea in 2013. They had an English-speaking German production in 2014. They had a German-speaking German production in 2017. There was an Asian tour in 2015. They were in Russia in 2017. They had a Danish premiere in 2019, a French production in 2019, and a Japanese production in March of this year, 2021. Oh, so it yeah. just started. Yeah. So I'm imagining that all of these would have, especially the ones that were opening later, like the 2019 ones were open until this pandemic hit. Yeah. And then everything kind of put, was put on hold. Mm -hmm. So the Japanese production decided to go ahead and open up in March of this year. It's questionable as to whether or not that was a good decision, because I know that the numbers in Japan were very, very low at the start of this pandemic, but aren't mm -hmm. they going up now? Um. I, well, I just know a lot of, uh, Japanese and Korean productions, like, I mean, some were starting last summer. Yeah. Um, they've s sort of figured out a little bit better than us how to, how to. Well, Japanese people wear their masks whenever they're sick. It could right. be a slight cold and they'll wear a mask. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they, that's why I think their numbers were so low when this yeah. first, you know, when this first happened. Anyway. Uh, in November of 2010, four original songs from the musical were made available online for recording sessions at the Abbey Road Station at the Man uh, and the Manchester Theatre Exchange. Oh, Exchange mm. Theatre, excuse me. The excuse me. <laughs> That's what I get for drinking water. <laughs> Sorry, that was gross. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm turning into a real Georgia. <laughs> Next, you'll have canned wine. <laughs> I did almost have a glass of wine while I was sitting with you here. <laughs> I did give you a lot of bottles. <laughs> you did. That was good <laughs> stuff. I still haven't drank them all. <laughs> I also have, I have a Siberian Husky that gets a de-shedding like every month. And the owner brings me two bottles of wine every single time. Because they know it's real hard. It is hard, but also he works at like, he, I think he owns, um, a liquor oh, place okay. so like but but I think it's really and he also tips me so he's he's a good tipper <laughs> I'll accept two bottles of wine every time anytime you want 
Oh my goodness. Um, the event was recorded and exclusively screened for, for fans of the Ghost the Musical's Facebook page on the 26th of November of 2010. So this is two full years before the Broadway show. So this was super smart of them because they were cultivating their fan base already. Um, the screenings were called Live and Unchained, the Facebook sessions, and they gave the world the first chance to hear the original songs. The whole footage is now available on YouTube. The original cast recordings were released via iTunes on the 17th of July, 2011, and on the album Unchanged Melody, The Reprise, which is a collaboration of the original song and Sam singing along, was not recorded. Mm. Unchanged Melody, Dance, and The Love Inside are edited into one track. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about critical reception, because whenever we do one of these shows, we got to talk about what the critics say, because they basically make or break any show. Mm-hmm. Charles Isherwood, in his review of the Broadway production for the New York Times, called the musical a thrill-free singing theme park ride and went on to write that the show relies mostly on elaborate video imagery, modestly ingenious special effects, and the familiarity of its ectoplasmic romance to entertain. Further, he believes that the musical has uh, oh, was innocuous, oh no, has innocuous and forgettable pop songs. I kind of agree, mm. but we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the New York Daily News reviewer wrote that the gee whiz illusions to um, a specter seemingly walking through a door, for instance, the lavish light displays and supersized projections are the main attractions of this English import. Without eye-popping tricks, the show offers zip in the way of wonder. The book clunks along. The love story gets swamped by numerous scenes and robotic, robotic dance numbers about New York's frantic, fast-paced corporate jungle. And some moments seem to exist simply for the visuals. In a more positive vein, the TalkinBroadway.com uh, reviewer wrote the librettist lyricist Bruce Joel Rubin and composer lyricist Dave Stewart and Glenn Ballard have written one of the finest film to stage adaptations in current memory, which Matthew Varkas has directed with energy and passion. Add in the better than necessary cast led by UK actor Richard Fleischman and Casey Levy, both of whom originated their roles in London, and you have an evening that startles with just how good it is in relative terms at any rate. I'm not willing to go as far as saying that this is a great musical. Mm. <laughs> so they've, they've made a little um, positive sandwich here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's brilliant. It's not a great musical or even objectively go- a good one, but it positively glows by the standards of all this Broadway season's new offerings and the likes of most other recent movie inspired outings. <laughs> That's not... It's not a good review. No. It starts out, you're like, oh, this is a good review. And then he like goes, yeah, but don't don't actually take that for my for for rote. It's not a good musical. Yeah. So they do have the awards that I mentioned before. Tony Award for Best Performance by a Featured Actress is Divine Joy Randolph. Um, Best Scenic Design, Rob Howell, Howell and John Driscoll. Best Lighting, Hugh Vanstone. Drama Desk, Outstanding Scenic Design by Rob Howell and John Driscoll. They won the Drama League, Distinguished Production of a Musical. And then the Outer Critics Circle, Outstanding Featured Actress, Divine Joy Randolph. And Outstanding Lining Design, Hugh Vanstone. Hugh ended up winning that one as well. Here's my take. We're at the end. 
I listened to the cast recording while writing this. And if I'm honest, the first few numbers were kind of a slog. <laughs> the overture is slow and boring. And the first number sets the same pace. By the time Sam dies, I almost didn't care. There's a number sung and danced by the ghost ensemble that it was a bit cringy and dialogue spoken that seemed awkward. And then kind of all of a sudden, I started to feel it. Act one finale is gorgeous and it's filled with a tension that was important for me to sense given the material the show is based on. Mm -hmm. I was young when the movie came out and certainly didn't fully understand the implications when I first watched it, but it did provoke in me an emotionality that is missing from the stage show, at least in terms of the score. Mm -hmm. Do the songs even have anything to do with the show? Having said that, the talent is undeniable. I imagine that to see the show is worth every penny and could possibly even make me eat my words. So I watched it on YouTube. I couldn't find the entire production, but I was able to watch several individual numbers. And I'm sad to say that my mind was not changed by them. Yeah. But listen, I just told you about all of, there's all of these productions that have existed. So certainly there is this fan base. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Theater Geeks Anonymous. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGABWAY and on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. And if you want to tell us how much you love us or you have a great story about one of the shows we've talked about, drop us a note at TGABWAY at gmail.com. Until, Until next time, time geeks. geeks. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.